Okay, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. And what's important for us to understand as you guys are flipping through there, I'll just kind of set it up a little bit. At this time, Jesus had been uh, spoken out against. His authority has been put into question. He has been doubted by the religious leaders, the, the heads of the Sanhedrin at the time. And he's been called out, and he's about to go ahead and, and, and speak in a parable. Um, and for the first 12 verses, he's going to be talking about a, a different type of parable. Normally, whenever Jesus would speak in a parable, it would be to veil a truth. Now, what is a parable? A parable is a, a spiritual truth given uh, with a physical illustration. And so he would sometimes, a lot of the times, he would speak a parable to veil the truth over people that don't have ears to hear or eyes to see, people that really don't care about digging out and finding what the truth is anyways. But this was different. He told a parable in a pretty confrontational way. There was, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about what he meant whenever he was saying it. It was directly, uh, it was shots fired, okay? So whenever he says this, whenever he completes this, the people that he's addressing, they know it was meant for them. So it's a different type of parable. And there's, there's five different types of people that are within this parable. So there's, there's a vineyard which signifies the people of God. There's vine growers or vine dressers, and they signify the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. There's uh, slaves or messengers, which signify the prophets. There's a son who signifies Jesus himself. And then finally, the owner of the vineyard, which signifies God the Father. So as he's telling this story, keep this in mind. We're going to go through and we're going to talk about the characters in this story. And we're going to talk about their attitude and their character. And we're going to try to learn from them. And then hopefully by the end of it, we have a clear vision of the heart of God. So in the first three verses, it says, He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and he put a wall around it. He dug a vat around the wine press and he built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and he went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took and they beat him and they sent him away empty handed. So as we see here, God, or the vine owner, he planted something that was extremely valuable to himself. He protected it. He put borders around it. He encased it. And then he hired a group of people that were responsible for taking care of it. It was a very, very precious thing in the sight of God, the sight of the vine owner. Now, keep in mind, a, vine, a vineyard is, is a very, you have to have a lot of money in order to start a vineyard. It takes a long period of time in order for it to become profitable. So that you have to take care of it meticulously. You have to hire people to go ahead and take care of it. You're spending a whole lot of money before you even see anything come about it. So... Not just anybody can start up their own vineyard business. You've got to be pretty wealthy. And by God comparing, by Jesus comparing the church to a vineyard, it tells you how much value he puts on the church. It shows you what type of, how he looks at us. And also, you're not going to put somebody in charge of a vineyard that you don't trust. Or at least doesn't appear to be trustworthy, right? If you value something, 
and some of the responsibilities are he built that wall so that the people that worked there would go ahead and look after what's inside of there. If there's any wild animals, they were to keep them away. If there were any thieves coming in to steal what belonged to the master, they were, they were chasing them away. You know, they would cultivate and they would prune skillfully uh, these, these grape bushes and teach them the way that they should grow. So these are people that are, that, that are trusted by the owner. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a history on the Pharisees because I think sometimes we read the Bible and we think of the Pharisees as these monsters, right? I'm going to give you a little history on them. So in between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and to the birth of Jesus is about 400 years. That's a long period of time where God never, he never gave a, a prophetic word through somebody that was recorded, right? He had never, uh, it was like a silent period within that 400 years, and a lot happened within that period of time. You see, right at the beginning of it is whenever the people of God, the remnant of God, were allowed out of their captivity, which they had been in for over 70 plus years, were allowed to start coming back in order to go ahead and build the temple, rebuild the temple, rebuild the city. And over a period of time, more and more people started showing up. But what ended up happening was Israel became a proxy for other superpowers of the world. Instead of fighting um, battles, wars on their own land, they would start fighting battles over Israel. And so whoever was kind of like the big dog on the block at that time, they were kind of in control over it. So it went through the hands of Egypt. It went through the hands of Greece. They had a small brief period of peace. And then Rome took over it. Well, whenever Greek... Well, Greece, Alexander the Great's reign, whenever he became like the, like the big guy on the block, he influenced the entire world. Um, Greek culture exploded from the art to fashion to language to everything. It influenced everybody, including, including the Jewish people, including the children of God. Up to the point where they stopped even speaking Hebrew. They started speaking Greek. They lost their own language. And the pagan culture of that time started influencing the people of God. So in steps the Pharisees and Sadducees, okay? The Pharisees and Sadducees crept in, and there was about 70 of these scholars, of these scribes, that put their, their minds and their knowledge and everything that they've accumulated, and they translated the Hebrew Scripture to the Greek language perfectly. And they did that in order to go ahead and, and reach out to a people that have turned their hearts and backs on God to turn their hearts back to God. They dedicate them lives to going ahead and preserving the word of God. That word Pharisee is what we looked at as sanctified. It means to be set apart. Set apart people. They were set apart for God. And they wanted the people of God to turn back to God. They wanted them to get back into their roots. So they started off well. But over a period of time, the Sadducees, they were the aristocratic people. They were very wealthy. They were priests, but they were very wealthy and since there was a vacuum in power, there was no king sitting on the, the throne of Israel. The Sadducees started gaining political power as a result of their status within the society. And they kind of left their priestly duties on the back burner. And the Pharisees stepped up. And the Pharisees became like uh, the religious leaders. So you have the Sadducees, you have the Pharisees, and they're very powerful, very influential people. And what had happened was they started using this, this power for their own means. They were called to go ahead and tend what belonged to God. And they were doing that, but then they decided somewhere down the, the road that they were going to take all of that stuff that belonged to God and start using it for themselves. The heroes ended up becoming the villains. 
but it was over a period of time. And so this is the world that Jesus is entering into. And as he's telling this parable, he's talking about them. And we need to be, we need to be very, very careful. Because sometimes we look at the Pharisees and we want to shake our finger at them, turn up our nose to them, but we forget. Compared to them, a lot of people's lives don't look very holy at all. They lived in a set-apart way. Now, it wasn't real inwardly. They were using all of that stuff for themselves, but yet, if we, from the outside looking in, we'd look at them and be like, you know what, they probably got it together. So, they became more solidified in the rebellion, and we see that within the story. You could see as Jesus is telling the story, something happened along the way where they started saying, you know what, we're the ones doing all the work over here. Why, why don't we get to go ahead and benefit from the fruits of our labor? And so even whenever God would directly speak to them, a message of God would straight come to them. They didn't want to really hear it at that time because it was interfering with what they had going on. So I hope we're, we're, we're listening to that. And in verse 4 and 5, it says, Again, he, speaking about the, the, the owner of the vineyard, again, he sent them another slave. And they wounded him in the head, and they treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed. And so with many others, beating and killing others. The behavior became increasingly hostile, right? Not to the point where it was like they not only regarded their master anymore, they, they didn't recall, regard the, the lives of the people that he would send. They be, actually began, began to hate the people that he would send. They hated him. And this is the heart of a man or a woman who's completely sold out to their sin, whatever it might be. It just gets worse. It gets darker. It never gets better, right? Whenever you're indulging in whatever that vice might be, um, you never go ahead and drink yourself out of alcoholism. You never go ahead and, and smoke so much dope that you're cured from being an addict. You know, we got a, a pretty big, probably the biggest homeless crisis that I could ever remember in our town. And I think about them, and sometimes I'll talk with some of them. And it's been a while since I actually sat down and had a long conversation. But sometimes whenever you hear their stories, it's never, they never started using drugs to those that are homeless because of addiction. They never started using drugs or drinking alcohol with the mindset, hey, one day I'm going to be homeless in the desert. That was never their goal. But it got there, right? Just like the vine dressers, whenever they became, became so about self and self-indulgence, whenever they became so self, um, I don't know, feeding, feeding their flesh, it took them to a very dark place. And this is the heart of any man or woman that gives themselves over to whatever type of sin that it might be. They're not different from us. So we need to pay attention to that. Also, what about these messengers? These messengers are pretty bold, right? Think of that. Think of uh, you were sent, and then, you know, you get beat up and you come back. That's bad enough, right? But imagine being the second guy. Like, you just see your buddy. He comes back. He's all lumped up. And then he's like, hey, well, now you go. Oh, great. Okay. And then he go, and then he comes back, and he's beaten 
you know, the brakes are beating off of this guy. He's all messed up. Imagine being the next guy. Like, oh, man. Did you know the prophet's life expectancy wasn't very long? <laughs> you know how Isaiah the prophet died? He was put into a, a hollowed out log and sawed in half. That's pretty gnarly, huh? Jeremiah and Ezekiel were stoned to death. People picked up rocks and threw rocks at them and hit them until they died. I could think of a lot of other ways I would prefer to die than that. Um, Micah. Micah was killed by King Amos. Or Joram, my bad. He was, he was killed by King Joram because he, he spoke out against him. Amos was tortured by the priest Amaziah because he prophesied against him. And then he didn't kill him, but later on, Amaziah's son beat him with a club to death. So being a messenger of God could be a pretty dangerous job, huh? Think of the boldness that was required for these people to go ahead and carry out their, their duty. Let's keep reading. It says, he had one more to send. Speaking of the owner of the land, he had one more to send. A beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those vine, vine growers said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. They took him and they killed him. And they threw him out of the vineyard. The one who they once served, they now despised. They hated. They had no regard for. And this is, this is the heart of the, the man or woman that turns their heart away from God. And this is what I fear, right? I fear this for people. Because I don't know how many, how many people I've seen as a, as a pastor, as a, as a leader in the church, come and go. And some of the people, they're so gung-ho for God, they want to just... They want to serve God. They want to get plugged in. And then you see them a year later. And it's like, what happened to them? And whenever you try to talk to them about the Lord, they don't want to hear it. It's like, what happened? Um, we have to be careful. That as a believer, thinking that somehow God owes us something. We're owed something by God. Be careful if you're the type of person that says, if I, if I serve God, in this aspect, then he's obligated to give me this. Be careful. Because this could be you. They didn't just kill the son, right? They drug him out and they tossed him away like a piece of trash that they had no use for anymore. Wow. Now, the character of the, of the owner of the field is put on full display right here. I mean, obviously, the son's character, this is, this is a bold son. This is a courageous son. This is a loving son, an obedient son. But the, the person who I look at and I see a whole lot of their character being put on full display is the father, the owner. Because I, I think about you. If, if you own a vineyard and you sent a messenger and they beat up your messenger, you'd probably be at full force. Let's get them. More than most people, the vast majority of us, after we sent the second messenger, and he got really lumped up, we were like, all right, that's it. No doubt, like even the most merciful of us, after the guy got killed, he got murdered, oh, they're done. But what does he do? He sends his son. 
he sends his son, and it, and it, and it tells me something. How much did he value, how much did he value the, the vineyard? How much does he value us? And then, on top of that, how much does he value the lives of the people that had no value for the lives of the people that served him? I mean, if he would have went and sent an army to wipe those wicked people out, who would, who would have blamed him, right? But he had more regard for their lives than they even had for their own. This is the heart of the vine owner. This is the heart of God. That blows me away. When I think of the goodness of God, I think of the kindness of God, the mercy, the generosity of Him. It blows me away because He's so not like anybody. So, less than two days after Jesus said this, guess what? This parable became true. He, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was crucified two days after this. So, the reason that God gives prophecy, he, he's, he's given a prophetic word to the Pharisees right now. He does it for a couple of reasons, but one of the main reasons that he'll give a prophecy is so that it is undeniable that he is omnipotent. And all, all that means is that he's all-knowing. It, it is impossible to not to deny that he is omnipotent after what he says comes true exactly how he says it's going to happen there'd be no question his authority would not be questioned and all they were doing to jesus up to that point was question his authority and so jesus is telling them this is exactly what's going to happen less than two days later what he said actually happened so let's go on let's read verse 9 through 11 what will the owner of the vineyard do now he's giving them a warning what will he do? He will come and he will destroy the vine growers and he will give the vineyard to others. And you have not, have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is Psalms 118 verses 22 and 23. Of course they read this. He's asking, he's like, what, you haven't read this? Of course they read this. They knew the scriptures. And that's whenever the light bulb went off, like, boom, oh, he's talking about us. And, and let's check it out right here in verse 12. It says, and they were seeking to seize him. And yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him away. They left him and went away. It, the, you know, the ironic part about all of it is by them wanting to seek and seize him, they were proving him right. But they couldn't even hear that. They couldn't even see that. They, couldn't. they were proving him right with their motives. But yet they, were, they, had, they didn't have eyes to see anymore. They didn't have ears to hear anymore. That's scary. That could, there could come a point in somebody's life that's, that's, that's turned their back on God to whenever God is clearly speaking to you, He's showing you signs, He's giving you it, you can't even hear it anymore. That's scary. There's a window of opportunity for anybody, anybody in the whole world to respond to God. But then that window closes and it's over and you're solidified in your decision. And if you haven't chosen Jesus, you're going to hell. That's not a popular viewpoint in today, but it's the accurate one. If you do not show, choose Jesus, there's two places. There's no third there's no, hey, I'll take option C. There's none of that. There's one of two. There's heaven and there's hell. 
What are you going to pick? The only way that you can pick heaven is if you choose Jesus. Today, I, I don't want to just really read like a really cool story about the, the life and time of our Messiah. I mean, it's a very cool story. But I hope as we read this story that we could learn from, from the characters. That we could, we could, I pray that we're able to see clearly the heart of our God. How much he values his people. How much he loves the whole world. How much mercy and grace he has. But how much he values his people. God's heart for his people is unparalleled. He loves his people. He loves your children more than you love them. He loves your spouse more than you love them. He loves your friends more than you love them. He loves everybody. He loves you more than you love yourself. And I know you love yourself a lot. (laughs) We all love ourselves. We can't get enough of me. I can't get enough of me. So this is how we are. God loves us so deeply. Hopefully, we're able to go ahead and heed the warning as well. We're able to heed the warning of the person that has not responded to, to God. Or has hardened their hearts toward God. Take heed. Hey, it's time to respond. I hope we can look at the, the courage. I hope we can look at the bravery of the messengers of God because Hey, if you're part of the family of God, if, if you're part of the church, you're called to be that. You're a messenger. You're a slave. You're a bond servant. He's got a message that he's given to you, and he says, now I want you to give it to them. Look at the boldness and the self-denial. Look at the heart of the Son, the obedience of the Son, what he was willing to do for us. So I hope we're able to go ahead and look at that and see that this story wasn't just meant for people 2,000 plus years ago, because sometimes whenever we read the story, we're like, oh, cool, he's talking to his disciples. Oh, cool, he's talking to the Pharisees. Oh, cool, he's talking to the lady at the well. He's talking to you. Through God's word, he's talking to me. He's talking to us, man. And so as we read it, I hope that we're able to personalize it and see like, man, there's a lot of ways that I can respond towards God, but there's one correct way. So I pray that we get to understand that in a little bit, Pastor Mick. And Mark, they're going to come up here and they're going to they're going to lead us in some worship and they're going to lead us in communion where we're going to share uh, some bread without leaven. That's going to signify the perfect body of Christ that was broken on our behalf. The sacrifice of the son of the vineyard owner that came in and, and poured out his life and that that grape juice that we're about to go ahead and take. It's, it's signifying the blood that was spilt for us and that washes us clean. And forgives us of all of the wrongdoings we've ever done. We're about to do that. But if there's anybody in here today that just says, you know what, I want to respond to Jesus today. I don't want to wait until my heart gets hard. I don't want to keep putting them on the back burner. I want to respond to Jesus today. If that's you, you want to respond to Jesus today, I want to invite you to respond to him today. So all you'll do, you know, God, Jesus tells us, if you if you uh, deny me in front of men, I will deny you in front of my Father in heaven. But if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So I want to give you the opportunity. If you want to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've done it before, maybe you've never done it, then I want to just pray for you and lead you in a prayer that you would do that. So is there anybody in here today that would like to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And if you don't, then I'm assuming you probably already have. Or if not, I'm assuming maybe you ain't ready. But either way, I'm still going to pray for you. If there's anybody that's watching too, it's very simple. All we do is we recognize that we are sinners. We understand that God is perfect and that I am not. That He has had a perfect standard and I haven't met that standard. And I need help. 
And so I call upon him to go ahead and rescue me. And that's what he does because that's what he did. He's the only one worthy. He's the only one perfect enough to live the life that we couldn't have lived. The perfect standard he kept. He never once broke the standard. He he kept it perfectly. And he lived that standard perfectly to give you an opportunity to make him your Lord. So that if you would follow him, you would make him your Lord. That whenever one day you come before the Father who is in heaven, he sees you as his beloved son. Forgiven, completely washed clean of everything that you've ever done wrong. And so what you do is you ask him to forgive you. You choose to live for him. From this day forward, I'm not going to live for him anymore. I'm not going to be one of those those vine dressers that go ahead and just want to take from you. I want to live for you. I want to serve you and however you want me to do it. You make that profession. You make that decision and you live it out every day. That's what it's all about. And once you do that, you can have a surety that whenever you die, you will have eternity. So you could go ahead and you can ask them in your heart at a later time if you're not ready. I just want you to know that. So we're going to pray. And after, or maybe even as we pray, Pastor Mickey and Mark, you guys come on up here and get set up to, to lead us in communion. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your kindness. I thank you for your mercy. God, I thank you just like you, you showed through Jesus, Lord, your plan. You showed your heart. God, I just I pray that nobody in here, Lord, would allow their hearts or you would not allow their hearts to become hardened towards you. God, we know that you love us, God. There's no doubt. You poured yourself out as a, as a sacrifice for us on our behalf. But God, I pray that we wouldn't just, we wouldn't turn an eye to what you've done for us, God. So those of us that do have you as our Lord and Savior, I pray that you would strengthen us in our resolve to live for you. I pray that you would purge us of anything that doesn't match up with you, Lord. If there's anything that we need to get rid of, I pray that you would, uh, you would expose those things in our lives and in our minds that we need to get rid of. You give us the boldness to deal with them, Lord. As we take communion together, Lord, I pray that you are pleased and welcome here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.